It's time for another season of The Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is Chino Moyo. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hello, Stuart. Thanks a lot for having me in, in your show. My pleasure. My pleasure. Now, um, my first job after watching your film was to look up what an undergod was, because I wasn't sure if it was a real word or not. And I was surprised to learn that it is a low or inferior god, a, subber- a subordinate deity, a demigod which I'd never appreciated. So thanks for uh, introducing me to that concept. Yeah. Now, before we go into details about your film, do you want to give people a brief synopsis as to what Under Gods is about? Yeah, it's, uh, well, Under Gods is an anthology film. It's uh, it's a genre film, combines a bit of science fiction with other genre elements like thriller and, and, and horror. But uh, and it's basically a movie about failed societies. It's a movie about uh, failed societies and and the and the failed individuals that that are are bred by this by those societies. And and yeah, it's a collection of stories. Each collection takes place in a different world, in a different let's call it dimension. And hmm. um, and it's a bit of a journey through this. Through these worlds and and the movie, in, in a way, even though there's that there are a few different stories, it it operates as a single journey. Oh yeah, no, without a doubt. Certainly, my experience. It was only it was only really looking back that I even felt that it you could you would you would call it a um, an anthology like you did in your introduction because I I feel it works as a feature. Yeah, to be honest, I I call it I started calling it more an anthology later as a, as a way of you always need some kind of taglines. Yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. When you pitch stuff, I, I never I never felt it. I always felt that it was a, just a single journey. Yeah, because it op- it operates it operates in a similar way to um, say Richard Linklater's um, Slacker in the sense of. You change who the protagonist is. That's that's the only reason that it becomes an anthology. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's it's so so we the the, the story kind of morph morphs in, into into other stories, but it's it's always this this one almost journey in which yeah you suddenly at one point one character leads into another, and that character takes us into another story and and. So it's 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 less of a. It was always intended of of telling, making a movie with different stories, but but all all fitting into this one one sole narrative. Yeah, it's it's definitely one. Despite the different universes, it's a definitely one story universe that I felt like I was watching. Yeah, what was the kernel of the idea that that you sort of got? That started you on the journey that, that become under under gods. Yeah, I guess in a way, probably I I wanted to make a, a comment of 
comment about our society, our world, our the idea of all these oh, humans creating these very complex societies that they are not able to control and that ultimately fail them. Hmm. Um, and it was a vision, I guess, that has to do a lot in the world where we live in. And obviously, after what we've gone in the last year, it's mm. even more clear that 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 this this system or this current system is not is not really is not really working uh, in terms of of of, of providing well being for the individual. And and it was it, that was, I guess, the the main idea of of making a movie where it felt. So societies and also about broken masculinity and how these male dominated societies are not only fail in general for humans but also they bring they ultimately bring this this become absolutely broken male and and mainly broken white male which are the people who could tend to control these 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 societies yes yes there's um there's a whole heap of evidence now, isn't there, going back centuries that uh, <laughs> yeah that we're failing each other, but for the few that seem to benefit, we keep the system going. Exactly. Which weirdly enough, when I started the movie, there was a thing about yeah, a movie about white white male and white middle aged men, and and it was less topical. And then the, the more we the more we we moved into production and started. The, there was a lot of, of conversations about the topic, and now it's obviously it blew up in the last in the last few years, especially this one after after the, the protests and the Black Lives Matter movement. And but that was something that was clearly, yeah, it, it, yeah. Mr. Mr. Tr- Mr. Trump has uh, has done a lot to prove the point, hasn't he? That was that was exactly that was the thing, and and in a way, the, this movie got financed. Right after Trump won the election, okay. and and he was very beneficial f- for us, well enough because oh, wow. he will, yeah, not directly. <laughs> it's oh, not that, I appreciate, yeah. That Donald Trump gave us the money, <laughs> but, uh, which could have been interesting. But but when he won, a lot of people who were considering this movie. They suddenly got back to us and said, "Now I think we understand the the what you want to say with this movie, and and it helped us a lot." Uh, Trump's um, ele- like winning the elections for for people to understand what we wanted to say and when, what was the movie about. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm just looking at you, the, the sort of the the extensive list of producers on the project, and I noticed uh, Katrin Kisser who. Uh, is a producer I interviewed as part of the Inside Pictures program last summer. Ah, oh, yeah. Kisa was Kisa was in the project from a very early start. Was one of the producers who was who was involved from. She's, she's also a good friend with Sophie, mm. and she's been. She was amazing. We got money, public money from Estonia. We also shot some bits in Estonia. We had some Estonian crew mm. and cast with were all amazing. Um, and yeah, Kisa was, yeah, Kisa was great. Kisa was a very, yeah, a co-producer who's been always very supportive of this movie. And she's still 
she's still around. She's she's been always part of part of Under Gods from the very early start. Yeah, no, I mean, and 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 having seen your film and having spoke to her, it's interesting because one of her one of her things is trying to solve the conundrum of making interesting cinema, but being commercial as well, which is always the yeah. the fight, isn't it? Exactly. Which which is 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 not is is yeah. I guess is 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 not an easy one and. Uh, and to be honest, here I think because we got a lot of public funding, I knew that I could take some liberties that yeah. I may not be able to take in future projects if if I have to rely less on public funding and more in private investment mm. or the budget is a bit bigger. Yeah. So when you when you were writing it and you've got these like sort of parallel worlds, as it were, let's call them that. Um, how did you? wrestle with the rules of your story universe you know because getting that because that's what makes it so satisfying to watch is it, it <coughs> the continuum feels like it all fits together like a jigsaw although while it's being built you don't see the whole thing being built yeah there was a lot of background story of 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 this world hmm. so there was there was a, I, I wrote i wrote the background story of 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 this world, especially the more alternative science fiction ones, mm. and how they originated, what happened, what what how humans ended up building those, and so there was a lot of back history, and I think that helped a lot, not only me when I was developing these worlds in the script and 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 filming them, but also the rest of the crew to understand. The rules and and when when the set designer was was designing the sets, when the costume designer was designing the costumes, even the actors when when they were when they were preparing for the roles, we talk a lot about those. And I think I think yeah. So most of the stuff that was in the backstory is not it didn't end up being on the screen. Mm. But uh, but I think it, it it helped a lot to bring together and to give uh, some sense of of reality or, or or make those worlds more believable. I I love that aspect of uh, of screenwriting that it's not about everything that's on the page and therefore everything that'll be on the screen, but gaining an understanding of one's someone's motivation helps if it's written down somewhere else. It's quite it's quite abstract when you think about it, but it but it also makes sense. Yeah, it's it's strange. Even with the characters, the same. The characters there was this very long biographies. I remember with Kay Dickey once because yeah, there was something about about she having seen her husband. I don't know some some time frame, something that happened for a space of ten years, hmm. seven years, and she came back to me. But that was not on the script at all. And she came back to me once, like I think. She should had spent ten years doing this instead of seven, as, as it is in, in in your biography, which is it was completely relevant to the script because it was never that period of her life was never going to be talked about. But obviously, it was something that for her was very important to to create her character, and I think all these kind of details somehow they they help everyone and and also they got involved especially the actors some of them also they got involved in, in mm. i gave them some biographies but we rewrote them uh, together some of them and and it, it, they ground i think those things they they help grounding 
characters, worlds, uh, stories a lot. And in in fact, it's this. I'm writing something new, and I'm I'm doing even. I've done a lot of even more background stuff even before I started writing it because I've learned through the gods how important it is to to create background stories and biographies. Now, uh, Ned, Ned Dennehy is one of my favourite actors. I thought he, I don't know if you saw last year's Calm with Horses. He's, he's, he's fantastic in it. And the, the, the character of Harry who he plays is, is a, obviously very peculiar and certainly more peculiar as we, as we reveal more about him. But can you, and, and, and to be honest with you, it, it felt like it was playing against type. You know, what I'm used to seeing Ned play, this wasn't, this wasn't a character I'm used to seeing him play. It was a, it was a lot more kind of calm and understated. The emotions were very much below the surface as opposed to the kind of more visceral or emotional characters I've seen him play in the past, which is, you know. What for you did he bring to the character when you start rolling the camera that when you were writing it on the page you couldn't have imagined? How did it, how did it come alive for you in, in, in Ned? He brought a lot. I think Ned understood Harry very well, mm. like really well from the very beginning. He really understood who that character was. And in fact, some of the best lines of that character actually came from him. Oh, wow. Were not on, on the script. Uh, some of them end up being on the script, but after we did rehearsals and, and I, then I wrote them, but some of the, of, the, of the best lines actually came from him. I think he really understood that character very well. And, and he brought a lot. I think I, think I, I knew he was going to be great, but, uh, but as, as we started filming, it was amazing. It was amazing how he manipulated that, that uh, married couple and, and how much he brought in, into the character that was not necessarily on the page. And, and especially also, yeah, some, some, these, some brilliant pieces of dialogues, which in fact are some of my favorite dialogues on the film. I have to say, didn't, I didn't, I actually didn't write them myself, came from Ned. They are all other dialogues that I also like a lot who, who I wrote, but some of my favorites actually are. As, as the director, did you make it clear you were open to suggestion? Yeah, with all the actors, I said, when we were doing rehearsals, I said, please feel free to bring anything you want. Please feel free to, to keep on adding sentences. So we, did, uh, we were rehearsing of what was on the page, but we were allowing some space for improvisation, mm. also in the rehearsals. And that was very good. That helped a lot. A lot of things came out of those those kind of moments of improvisation with a lot of the a lot of the actors. So I was always very open, open for the actors to bring us as much as as they wanted. There's some actors who love him, who who are, who are more uh, who who prefer to work under under more restrictive conditions. Some they they like to improvise. I my experiences and the gods is like. There's some actors who are, there's no, yeah, doesn't mean that they are better or worse because yeah. some of the ones, they strictly follow what was were on, was on the page were amazing. And some who were more free were equally. So it's, it's different methods, but I was definitely allowing everyone and inviting everyone to to add as, as much as they wanted into the script. A, a little tiny piece of information I'd like to ask because it just struck me as, on in the, I think it's the first scene or the second scene when we're with Kate Dickey and the, and their family before, before a man returns, as it were. 
Um, are they watching extra on the television? Yes, they are. I am. I'm, I'm so glad at least someone just, yeah, at least someone. I have to say, I mean, always, because initially we had one of the very gory, uh, one of the, when, when he can becomes a monster on yeah. TV. And I thought maybe this is going to become too gimmicky. And, and then we end up with something that was more, more just a dramatic scene that could be from any film. Mm. But then I've, I've always been half regretting, half not. But now since someone has finally said that, yes, they were watching extra. In fact, the names of Rachel, Will and Sam, mm. which are the names of the characters of that story, come from extra. It's, it's a homage to, to extra. Fantastic. I had, um, I had the producer of extra on the podcast when they did the 35th anniversary of extra. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. Extra is a movie that I went, I, I saw when I was seven years old in the cinema. As yeah, there were different times. Yeah, different times dad, indeed. My dad took me to see it. I was seven years old, and I chose it because my dad was not interested in horror at all. So it was probably my choice, and it blew my mind. And since then, it stayed, and it, it, it was a, it was quite a big influence in Undergods. That's well, I was going to say, I mean, there's there's parallels between Kate Dickey's family the story and... Returns home yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. So the, the third story is, is really, is very, very inspired in extra in many ways. And and obviously the the the, exi- the husband who replaced the guy that returns is, I guess in a way, while he's a victim of what happens, he's also one of your, I guess, your busy, biggest exponents of the toxic masculinity. Exactly. Because his words are all about, to Kate Dickey's character, hold on, who pays for this house? Who goes to work? As if as if she's done nothing for the family. Exactly. Exactly. He he was, and there was this, yeah, Dominic is definitely uh, the epitome of, 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 of broken and toxic, and toxic masculinity. And then it was very interesting, the dynamics between the two, which is something that you have in extra, is, is when the husband returns and there's already the new partner, husband of the wife and, and, and all the kind of, all the conflict and tension between them. So, so that was, that was definitely something really interesting. And, and I'm really glad that someone picked it up. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're in, you're in good company here. You're in good company here with that sort of choice. What's fascinating is the way that, the way that Kate Dickey, the minute he shows his true hand, i.e. whatever his, whatever his version of love is, it makes her decision to try and accept the return of the old partner into a life easy. And so the conversations become so much, and this, this new character of, um, of Rachel, this new Rachel is born right in front of our eyes almost. Yeah. I think at that point, she becomes really deluded and she, she started living, she, she begins to live some kind of fantasy. And mm. um, obviously as a, the biography, the idea was like she was never, Sam was the love of her life. Then, and then, then he disappeared. So he ended up marrying um, this other guy, but out of almost convenience, he needed to survive somehow. So when Sam returns, he's so absolutely not who he used to be. And, and, and the only thing she can do, Rachel, at that point is that, deluding herself 
And I think there's something that happens when people delude themselves too much that they 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 end up being overly a bit and optimistic because this is the only way they have to to try to to lie to themselves. Well, we, we've avoid. seen we've seen it a lot during um, during the during COVID. You know, people have chosen some decision, <clears throat> and even when they prove wrong. They stick with the decision they've chosen because that, for some reason, it's worse to say I was wrong. Exactly, and it's exactly, exactly that same of of that 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 type of of decision mm. and that type of of you see it in politics all the time. Yeah, when Sally is these people, this 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 way of 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 yeah of infusing like a lot of optimism. I mean, Donald Trump was also even. Yeah, a perfect example as well of infusing a lot of extra doses of optimism in order to to make everyone believe and and to believe and and for you to believe something that is a blatant lie. And that's what happens to Rachel. She she becomes super optimistic and is like, okay, this is gonna work. Everything is gonna be great. And but obviously, it's clear that this guy is not the same. Now, one one of the it's um, one of the visually astounding things about your movie is the uh, is the dystopian sort of desolation of the urban the decayed urban environments that you show. Um, then you shot on location in Estonia and Serbia. Am I right? Yeah. Is what we see all real, or is any of it sort of? In, have you enhanced any of it with CGI or? It's all enhanced. Okay. It's all 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 very enhanced. In fact. Uh, okay. Go on. Tell me how. So basically, it's all enhanced, but the locations were striking. Okay. So we spend a lot of time looking for these these communist uh, communist buildings, and both in in Estonia and in uh, and in Serbia. In Serbia, there's this whole parallel city called uh, New Belgrade, which was built under communism, and it was they built it from scratch. There were some Marses, they drained the Marses and they built this. And it has these amazing streets, avenues, housing projects, industrial states. But the problem of most of those buildings and, and, and the same, we found some really interesting locations in Estonia, but the problem is that those were, those places are functioning streets. So you have traffic lights, you have cars parked, you have a, um, and in, in places like in Estonia, which was, Estonia is all cleaned up. Estonia yeah. has a lot of these communist buildings, but everything has been cleaned up, repainted, renewed. So, so you have the structure of the buildings, but everything feels quite modern. Plus also you have all these elements from our, our real life. So basically what we did is we used those locations, we shot in those locations. Then in post-production, we cleaned everything that was related to modern life. So we remove, we paint out uh, all the cars, the traffic lights, the street signs. Wow, everything. really? Yeah, which was a painstaking. I yeah, bet, was, I bet. It took a lot of time. And once we did that, we started aging all those buildings, breaking them down, creating cracks in the walls, in the, in the roads, on the buildings. And then some of them we... And then extending a lot of them, just adding it, adding new buildings next to them, and and for that we have an amazing Estonian Estonian concept designer who designed 
who design how the cities will look on the on, like on top of the actual photos or or or, or, um, or still still lives from yeah. uh, sorry stills from from the movie. She created these these cities, and so then we gave them that to FilmGate, which who did also an amazing job, and and they they made them real. So it was it was it was a late yeah it was a lot of work a lot of work to create those those cities in. But in it's, it's 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 essentially it's the, it's the thing that sells your film in many senses. You you you're you're using CGI almost like cutely because it's not. It's not extravaganza in the sense of moving, but it's completely augmenting reality as far as what we're watching. It was pretty much that some form of augmented reality because the location themselves were striking. The buildings were amazing. The, 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 the architecture, the geometry, the perspectives. The birthday party scene, which is obviously a lot more contained than, than the idea of the cityscapes, um, the whole um, singing of my way is a spectacular moment and a, and a great reflection of one man's victory, you know, the, the boss surrounded by friends and, um, and, and it's Dominic, isn't it? Dominic, the character Dominic's uh, life just yeah. falling apart after, and obviously getting himself drunk. What does that, I mean, I'm fascinated as a screenwriter. What does that look like on the page? And how do you translate that into a sequence? Because it's it's spectacular. I was very positively because especially when you write something that involves a song and a very specific song, it's like, how is this gonna I have no yeah. And then with when Bern Gorman, which we didn't rehearse that scene at all. So Bern Sally got the mic. It's the same as we were saying with Ned. To be honest, it's the same as with all the actors. Somehow Bern knew that knew that character very well mm. he knew it in a way i remember we were filming and he said i need a glass i need a short glass i need a i need a um, white liquor and just two eyes and he needed that prop he knew who that character was very and, and he was asking for specific things that he needed to perform that that, that that's character. interesting and when he he grabbed the mic he was like wow like <laughs> um and it was amazing that that scene worked worked so well, and and obviously that that song is, is again is is so so much about male and this male fantasy of 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 the one way, and I did it my way, and it's it, it actually came up. Yeah, I, I have a little bit of a Trumpian uncle who's a very nice guy, very funny, but yeah, has some Trumpian elements to him. And he sang it in a, in some kind of Christmas family Christmas, and I saw him singing it. It's like I think this will be perfect for for Under Gods because it it it, it expresses so much mm. on the characters and and Burn yeah brought it to another level. And also Dominic, there was something about about the boss and the and the employee. This sort of of of, of weird twisted dialogue between them as they were singing. That I think, I think for me, that's the moment where it's a very important moment in the film. I think that's for one sure. of the moments. I think it's, it's yeah, the movie comes comes together in it. Yeah, because you because you've kind of you've 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 given us all of your kind of misdirects, I suppose, in terms of what the what the resolution's going to be. And just in this moment, it's beginning to make sense, although you're not quite sure. How it's going, how the land's going to fall, how it's all going to fall. 
but certainly it isn't going to be isn't going to be bringing Dominic along with it, is it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and definitely, as you say, I think that's the moment where everything clicks and all the rest that you've seen come together in some way. Yeah. One last question before we finish. The artwork for the poster is is just beautiful. What, who, who, who's responsible for that? Do you mean the one with this sort of mannequin? Because yeah, yeah. They're, they're sort of almost yeah, like... So there's this guy called Max Höfler. He's German. Uh, I was, I grew up with a lot of, my dad had a lot of science fiction books at his house when I was growing up. And they all had this very specific technique, this airbrush technique, which I think it was similar to, yeah, they did that. They did a lot of that in Britain as well. And there was, there was a particular style in, in, in the late 70s and early 80s of, of for, science fiction, for science fiction books of, of this, of applying this. They, they used to all always design with this kind of airbrush technique. So I really wanted to the poster that, that, that emulated those books. And, and then I did some research of people who did that technique. And Max Hevler, I think, is one of the masters of mm. that so we were in touch and he came up with with some ideas then we did a bit of back and forth and he created that poster which i think is is stunning yeah um, no i mean it, it does it does a lot of the heavy lifting for your film before you sit down to watch it you kind of know what yeah. you're getting into yeah 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 so he he he, he did a, about he did a great job but we are actually working with some other artists and, and we're going to be producing some alternative artwork that we'll, we'll be releasing soon, which is also really amazing. That's exciting. We're working with also like from a very, very different backgrounds and they're all creating some very exciting uh, artwork. Well, look, it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving us your time on the Britflix podcast. And thanks a lot, Stuart. It's been a pleasure to, to chat with you, yeah. Dad? Yeah? Will you read me a story? Of course. Do you promise you remember the monsters? Promise. What is this place? Shh, shh. Do you believe in God, Mr. Hulse? some patience.
It hasn't finished yet. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina. 